Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I'm going to finish off this passage. And as you're turning there, I've often said that I am not, nor do I want to be, a salesman of the gospel. I pray that more than anything, I'm a client. And here I am going to talk about life with the Holy Spirit for the church, life in our own individual lives. And uh, got up early this morning, had a wonderful time studying and preparing and thinking and meditating and praying. And then at about 9 o'clock, things started to go wrong. Finished my sermon, sent it to Deb to print off. The house printer wouldn't work. Then it ran out of ink. So then we decided we'd try to leave the house early, stop by the church offices, got there, got all fixed up, got my computer out, got hooked up. Church printer doesn't work. Couldn't print. Then I figured, okay, I'll use my iPad, which I'm here and I'm touching delicately. And uh, went to open it up, opened up Word all right, didn't have my sermon. Then I said, said, sign in. So I signed in and it said, put in your password. Put in my password. Said, that's not your password. So I went into the place where I keep all my passwords. It was my password. Told the computer, that is my password. It said, no, it's not your password. Then it had to send me a link and it sent me a link. And then I put that in and then it said, okay, it's there. And then I found it and then it opened up half the pages. So half the sermon was there. Now, I think that's because it just takes time for the cloud to not come, whatever the cloud is. I don't know. You nerds know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I'm hoping that the whole sermon's here. Let's just say that. And I've got something to preach. So it might be 15 minutes of me being very confident and then me being very unconfident as I try to remember what I wanted to talk to you about. But in a strange sense of God's mercy and grace, He does make me practice what I preach. Will I be dependent on God's Spirit. Will I follow Him? I've been preaching through the Gospel of John every time I get to preach, doing because I believe this is probably the greatest Gospel. If you ever are talking to someone who's skeptical, someone who's just turning to the Bible, someone who's gone through a crisis, and they're trying to figure out Jesus, they want to meet Jesus, I would encourage anybody and everybody to read the Gospel of John. And as Christians, I would tell you to read the Gospel of John regularly, Because it's the greatest gospel where you see these conversations of Jesus Christ with human beings. He works through these things with us. He talks to women and men. He talks to rich and poor. He talks to the religious elite and to those that would be considered outcasts and downcasts. He speaks to crowds and he speaks to his disciples. And he does so in a very profound and personal way. And you see it especially in John chapter 13 to 16, which is considered that great discourse. All of what Jesus and the disciples talked about when they're in that upper room and Jesus institutes what we now know as the Lord's Supper. But I want to talk to us today for just a few minutes about the life of the Holy Spirit for the church. And this is a a sermon where I could get everybody mad at me. So if you come from more of a conservative, say, Baptistic background where the Holy Spirit is kind of just whispered about in hushed tones, I may come across as a little bit too charismatic for you. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and is a person, is the third person of the Trinity. I believe the Holy Spirit can and does work amongst His people in powerful ways. But for some others who are maybe on the more charismatic end of things, maybe you'll think I'm not charismatic enough. 
And that's okay because I'm hoping that the Word of God will be our guide and our director. And that's the conclusion we're going to come to by the end. Now, to set this up and kind of make it something that you can be thinking about throughout this sermon for the next few minutes, I was trying to way to think to start this and grab your attention. And this was one of the things that came to me. Of the last quarter century, one of the most famous movies is Tom Cruise's movie that he did back when he was much younger called A Few Good Men, where he is a Marine lawyer and he must defend two Marines that have been accused of murder. In the climactic moment of that film, Tom Cruise's character as a lawyer is trying to get this decorated general to admit on the stand, under oath, that he had ordered this thing called a code red, which was a very extreme way for the Marines to discipline their own. But it was done, but it was not allowed to be done. And this general was on his way to political position and power, and they didn't want his name sullied or his reputation impaired upon. And so there's great music and buildup of this scene as they go back and forth, and they do this dance where Tom Cruise wants to get him to admit this general that he had ordered. And as the scene unfolds and the tension builds and the general screams out, you want answers? This young lawyer pounds his fist and he says, I want the truth. And now what has become one of the most famous movie lines in history, Jack Nicholson, who plays that general, yells out, you can't handle the truth. And I've thought about this scene many, many times when it comes to myself and my life and the lives of so many others. I've known as we've walked this thing called life, and even more for those of us who call ourselves Christians. Today, for instance, on February the 27th of 2022, think about our lives and the circumstances of our lives and where we find ourselves right now. Whether it's the fact that we're still here in masks and yet wondering if it will be truly safe to take them off in two weeks from now. We've longed for the lifting of restrictions to be able to go back to normal, and yet as we approach March the 14th, everybody in this room and all those people online, we are a mix of excited and apprehensive. And why? Because we are a mix of trust and mistrust. You see, every one of you, from the youngest of you to the oldest, is exactly like this Tom Cruise character. We all want answers. We want the truth. We want to be able to truly trust. And that brings us to one of the most pressing issues, doesn't it? The greatest issue that many of you are facing today, many of the issues that I face, are trust issues. Who do we trust? Who can we trust? Who will we trust? In fact, we are all here most likely to trust ourselves more than anyone else. And you know why? Because that's what the world screams at us. Trust yourself. You can only trust yourself. But let me ask you then, look around you and evaluate your life and ask yourself, how's that working out for you, trusting yourself? As we look around our world today, with covid with our own prime minister and emergency measures, acts, with war, a present reality, rate, gas rising, interest rates rising, food is more expensive, the culture is changing in what seems ever more breakneck speed, and then add to all that the regular stuff that every one of us is dealing with. 
<laughs> it makes me smile when I think of Michael W. Smith's song, right? My place in this world. Because we're all trying to find it, aren't we? Identity. What's my identity? Who am I? Value. Am I important? Does somebody love me? Does anybody like me? My purpose where am I going? Where am I headed? Why am I here? Whether it's friends or grades or being accepted, whether you're in junior high or high school, whether you're in university or trade school, what degree or career, boyfriends, girlfriends, where to go to school, what do I stand for, what do I believe? We are all to some degree, even all of you are going, is God really out there? And where do my allegiances lie? Then there's things like our marriages singleness. We're all dealing with our own struggles. I'll tell you one thing, when you've got 30 minutes to a service and printers won't work and you don't know if you have your sermon, I will tell you one thing that I deal with is anger and anxiety. We're all busy here in the second month of a new year managing our finances and trying to manage our lives. We wonder what it all means Sometimes you wonder, does it all matter? And then there are those who are, why me? Or, I'm just tired. Maybe some of you as parents are struggling right now with, how are my kids going to turn out? Will they be safe? Will they be happy? Will they be healthy? And then what about those of you that are going, will I find love? Or will I ever feel safe? Will I ever be accepted? Does my life make a difference? What are we working for? And will it really change anything? Now, I don't know about you, but I know there's many times in my life when I have felt like I'm on the hamster wheel. I'm really working hard. I'm expending an awful lot of energy, but going nowhere. So, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to t turn? We all want answers. We're just like Tom Cruise. I want answers. I want the truth. And are you ready? In John chapter 16, God says to Jesus, through Jesus to us that he not only is the truth, but he's going to give us the truth. And then more than that, he'll give us a guide through truth. He tells us to go. And to put it another way, what was the lady that was known as for years and years as Nancy Lee DeMoss, she's now married, Nancy Wilgamuth. She writes, what you believe about God will drive your emotions. What you believe about God will drive your contentment levels. What you believe about God will drive your behavior, your actions, your choices, and your priorities. In fact, what you believe about God will drive everything about you. So here we are again. At the end of Jesus' final discussion with these 11 disciples. And don't forget, John, who is the one who presents this, he was there present for this private time with Jesus. And he's the one used by God to write this gospel. And remember, he has a plan and a purpose. The whole purpose of everything he's chosen to record for you and I is this. That Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. This is John saying, I was there. Jesus did a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't write down, but I wrote these down. And here's why I wrote them down. That you and I may believe, John chapter 20, verse 30, that G Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In Calvary and online, here's what I want you to get. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want answers. I want the truth. The world's response is, you can't handle the truth. 
The Bible's answer is Jesus is the truth. And in fact, when you can't handle life, he takes over. This old Christian cliche that God will never give you what you can't handle. Young people, don't believe it. Your life is going to be a series of you facing things you can't handle. In fact, Jesus is best pleased when you get to a point where I can't handle this. And he goes, excellent. Now give it to me. Give it to me. And adults, when are we going to figure that out as professing Christians? This is our story. This is our passage. Look at it with me. John chapter 16, the second half of verse 4. Jesus says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, he's telling the 11, I didn't tell you everything. You want answers? I I couldn't tell you everything because I'm with you because there's a bigger plan at play. But now, now I am going to him who sent me. Jesus saying, now I'm going back to the Father and none of you asks me, where are you going? Verse 6, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, even so, all this, I tell you the truth. Now, if you've got a Bible and you write in it, highlight that or underline it. And I want you to ask God right now to remind you of this all today and this week. Whenever you're doubting, here is Jesus very explicitly looking at the 11 saying, Nevertheless, despite the fact that you don't get it, despite the fact you don't understand, despite the fact that you're afraid, I tell you the truth. Here's the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, Jesus says. For I do not go for if I do not go away, the helper, the comforter, the advocate, all right? The Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, just as God the Father sent me, he says I will send him to you and when he comes. Remember a few weeks ago we learned about this. He, the Holy Spirit's role in the world is this, to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Make no mistake, before President Putin goes to sleep at night, I promise you this, some moral compass in him goes, you're wrong. And that's the Holy Spirit. Now, he may definite it out or ignore it or push it away, But the Holy Spirit of God is telling this entire world and all 8 billion people on the planet that he is here. And when we murder and when we're greedy and selfish and when we only live for ourselves, something in us says this isn't right. And you're left with a couple of options then. You've got to justify your actions. You've got to push that down. You've got to ignore it. But the the Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Then concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Do you want to know why our world is convulsing the way it is? It's because Satan knows he's lost. Have you ever watched a lopsided game when the team knows they've lost and then all of a sudden they do things they would never normally do if they were in a tight competitive game? All of a sudden the trash talking goes up really bad. In soccer, you'll see a really bad dive or takeaway. They take somebody out and they go cleats up because they know I've lost anyway. So if I'm going to go down, I'm taking people with me. That is Satan. He knows he's lost. 
God not only will win, he has won. And everything you and I are seeing happening in, in our world today is exactly what Jesus tells his disciples here. But then he goes to, wow, the role of, now the role of the Holy Spirit for the church, for you and I as Christians, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you. Now watch this. But you cannot bear them now. I want answers. I want the truth. You, you, you can't bear them right now. But look, hope's coming, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth, all the answers you're looking for, the truth you need. Why? How? For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you, personalize this, church, this morning. Personalize it to you. God says, Jesus says, when I send you the Holy Spirit, he will guide you in all truth, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. And this is why I believe there's a way for us to be charismatic biblically. Notice verse 14. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is coming to the culmination of chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16. This is Jesus explaining to these 11 and to you and I this morning how you and I can have life. But not just a life. Not just a life that thinks only about when we die. No, this is about having life. It's about having eternal life, everlasting life, meaningful life. Jesus is explaining how our view and trust of him will not only save us, but transform us. You see, men and women, life with Jesus changes us, now listen to me, in our circumstances. Life with Jesus may not change your circumstances, but it'll change you in your circumstances. In fact, life with Jesus means we transcend our circumstances. So, guess what that means? It means for any man or woman who will trust in Jesus, come to the truth that is Jesus Christ, we can overcome a failed marriage or struggling marriage or failed relationships or struggling relationships. We can know peace in pain. If you've watched any of the news, you have seen Ukrainian Christians have peace in pain. Have you seen the viral video of the family sitting around with their meager lunch singing, He Will Hold Me Fast? The church that was held up down in the subway having a church service. I've experienced these things when I've been to Russia, and I went to a republic called Chuvashia and met with a pastor and his wife, and she was a sower, and she worked six days a week, Monday to Saturday, from nine to six for $100 a month American. And they had me in their home, and they put out this deli meat and cheeses and things like that. And we sang together and we prayed together. And they told me what a joy and an honor. And I happened to be helping to clear the table. And as I went into their meager kitchen, the, the lady of the home opened up her, her fridge. And there was literally nothing in there. 
And I was overwhelmed, and I, I went to my translator, and I, I had some American money in my pocket, and I took it all out, and I said, I want to go give this to the lady and her husband. And she stopped me. She said, Pastor Steve, you cannot do this. And I'm like, why? She said, you will hurt them. She said, they have been honored and blessed to have you in their home and to share their lives with you. It would be such a dishonor for you now to just give them money. So she had to tell me, I had to give it to the pastor of the church I was staying, and he would find a way to get the money to them. But she begged me, don't rob them of their blessing. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us is what the Holy Spirit will do. This passage tells us that Jesus says, we've got a friend. See, Jesus wrote the song, what a fr uh, You Have a Friend in Me, long before Toy Story ever came out. We've got a friend in him. He will be our friend. But watch more, he's going to give us this helper, this constant guide and source of power. You see, God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son is going to send God the Holy Spirit to dwell all of those, from the youngest of you to the oldest, male and female, to guide us. And this is our passage. I want the truth. I want answers. Then the Bible is where we go. The biggest question for all of us here is actually pretty simple. Who do you trust? Will you and I trust Jesus at his word? Will we follow and trust the Holy Spirit's guiding for how we're going to do it? This passage tells us exactly how to accomplish this. And don't forget the, the background of John chapter 16 here. Jesus is literally 14, 16 hours away from death. Judas has already left to go and betray him. Jesus has already told the disciples he's leaving. They're weak. They're going to be betrayed. It's all only hours away. And then he says in John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Now that's followed by these 11 men asking them what, why, how, where. Jesus, where are you going? Why are you doing this? How is this possible? You see, the disciples are no different than we are. They were afraid and confused. They were fighting between their trusting of Jesus. In fact, what is hilarious to me is that they're fighting over who trusts Jesus more, even though none of them really trust Jesus. They fight about Christ while not understanding what he's saying. They want to trust him, but they also want what they want. Life is going to life to go according to their plan. So what do they want? They want political deliverance. They want peace now, as in I want life to be good and to be easy. They're thinking only of themselves and only of their immediate needs. Does that not sound familiar? Jesus is saying in this passage, I know what your greatest need is, and you don't realize just how infected with sin in the world you are, and I've got a plan, and it is a perfect plan, and it will address all of the world's problems. In John chapter 16, don't, don't, you need to see this. Jesus is actually explaining how the Holy Spirit will deal with the world, but now he's telling them how the Holy Spirit will give them the answers they need. I want answers. I want the truth. But Jesus is saying, I can't give you those answers now because you can't handle it. But when I send my Holy Spirit, he will give you the answers you need, the truth you need. He'll not only do that, but he'll give you the power and the ability to handle it and even thrive in the midst of this. So church, both gathered and online, 
I submit that John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15, are actually the best of the whole passage. Now, we've been told about the power of the Holy Spirit before in chapters 13, 14, and even 15. We've learned that God will empower these lowly and all too often slow misfits. But remember when we started, I asked you some questions back a few weeks ago. I asked you, how do you handle and deal with adversity? How do you handle setback and struggle? What do you do when you don't understand when you can't see the end, when you don't know what will happen next. See, these disciples who are hurting and scared, they're weak, they don't understand, they miss the point, they argue amongst themselves, they've jockeyed for position and for power and all of these things. So here they are, confused and concerned. They long to keep Jesus for themselves. They long to know what's going on, and yet Jesus has just told them, I'm going away, I'll be betrayed, you're all weak, and that is to your advantage. See, none of us would write our week like that. I'm looking forward to this tomorrow, starting the work week. I will be weak and tired and scared and disadvantaged, and a lot of things are going to go wrong, and that's to my advantage. None of you have got that written in your Sunday afternoon journal of hopes for the coming week. But Jesus teaches us in this passage, look at it again. He says to us, that he is going to send us the Holy Spirit. And what is the role of the Holy Spirit? He will guide you in all truth. Whatever he's heard of me, he will tell you. We've already learned this stuff back in John chapter 14, verse 16, that there is another helper. The Holy Spirit is going to take Christ's place in discipling the believers. Friends, the Holy Spirit of the living God is present here. He is in Every man and woman in this room that is a Christian, you are indwelt by God. We've learned in chapter 14, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit will enable the apostles to remember all that Jesus had taught them. In chapter 15, verse 26, in the midst of persecution, the Holy Spirit would empower the believers to witness to Jesus. Open up your email and you'll see it. Look at Twitter or Facebook, you'll see it. Ukrainian Christians, did you see the quote from the Ukrainian seminary president? We were underground before, and we'll go underground again. But we will not stop preaching the gospel. Right? They're not going to let a little war stop them from being Christians. But I was ready to hang up my hat and stop being a pastor because my sermon notes wouldn't print. So you tell me who's stronger and who's weaker, who's more blessed. In chapter 16, we're learning that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And in our passage, he says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into the whole of truth. Jesus, having spoken of the Holy Spirit's convicting ministry to the world, now says the Holy Spirit's ministry to you and I as a church is to reveal the mysteries of God to you and I. So why are we so busy looking for a word from the Lord or a revelation from God? We have it. It's called the Bible. You don't need another word from God. We have it. It's the final word. This is where we find it. Jesus says, I will show you all things. Remember that line? I will tell you the truth. I'm going to leave. 
But in leaving, I'll give you more of me than you could have ever imagined. Because now I'm going to leave. See, up to this point, the disciples, they loved it when they were with Jesus in his presence. Right? And often remember, I, I was doing my daily Devo this week, and we're reading through Matthew, and came to part where Jesus walks on the water. And so he goes, but the disciples, he sends off in a boat, and they're off in the boat facing a headwind. They're rowing against the wind. They think they're going to die, and they know we're alone. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. Matthew says they think they saw a ghost. Right? It was the earliest version of Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Right? That's what they were doing. But here comes Jesus. But they knew they were alone. Jesus is saying, listen, you think it's been great that sometimes you could have me in your presence, but you also sense I'm leaving. I'm going to tell you, though, in my leaving, I'm going to send God back to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. He will indwell you. So guess what? Wherever you go, whatever your circumstance, wherever you find yourself, you are never alone. God is with you. When you fight for your marriage, or you fight for friends, or you fight to study well or do well, you stand up for truth, you are patient, or you forgive when it's rough, when you love sacrificially, when you are feeling pressed down and overwhelmed and scared, that's when Jesus wants you to remember, the spirit of the living God is with you. So he says, I'm going to give you more of me than you've ever had. I will send my spirit, and he will lead you and empower you. You'll never be alone. You'll have all of me all the time. And when you need to speak to me, you can. Here's the tragedy. In the movie, I want answers. I want the truth. If it was God on the stand... And we were doing that lawyer thing. I want answers. I want the truth. The tragedy is God would say, I gave you the truth and you won't read it. Yet so many of us are still stamping our fists just like Tom Cruise. I want answers. I want the truth. But none of us or few of us is getting into the Bible. Because Jesus says in this passage, the Spirit will come and he will guide you in the truth. So here's my big question for you. Is the Bible enough? Is the Bible enough? We admire our Ukrainian brothers and sisters right now. We've talked and prayed about our Christians in Belarus and Russia. Matt came into my office, as he's often wanted to do this month, because we've been reading through the book of Job. And almost every morning, Matt will come in when I get in and sit down next to me and say, so let's talk about Job together. And the other day we were talking about it, and he put his Bible down on the floor next to him. And I, I stopped and I looked at him. I said, pick that Bible up. And he thought I was joking. And I said, and, and he was really surprised at my reaction. I said, no, this is not a legalistic thing. I said, this is because I've been infected by something. See, when I went to Russia, I noticed that none of the Christians ever put their Bible on the floor. Ever. And I couldn't understand it. And twice, as I was wanting to, I sat down so, and I put my Bible on the floor underneath my seat. And everybody started looking at me. And so I asked my, my interpreter, I said, what's, what's going on? What have I done? And she said, oh, Steve, she said, I just need you to understand. The Bible is so rare and so precious to us. We've only had the Bible in our language for 100 years. So for us, we could never put it on the floor. We want it near us all the time. 
something you and I take for granted, because I'm not here to tell you that I think putting your Bible on the floor is sinful. I'm trying to help you understand that we have so much of it that I think some of us are taking it for granted. And we're wondering, why don't we feel the Holy Spirit's power? Why aren't we experiencing God moving? Because, as one person said, when our final authority is our heart, which it is in the Western world, we will regularly twist Scripture to say whatever pleases our heart. I read this week that 5 to 10 billion Bibles have been printed, given away, or sold since the invention of the printing press. That according to a study here in Canada in 2014, so eight years ago, that the average American house has four Bibles. That number is not as high in Canada, but according to the Canadian Bible Society, they give away 500,000 Bibles per year in our country. But here is what is most startling and why I believe a passage like John chapter 6 doesn't land on our hearts the way John wants it to. The reason I read John chapter 20, 30 and 31 over and over and over again can seem redundant and not at all life-giving is because, according to the study in Canada in 2014, 14% of Canadians, 14% said they read their Bible maybe once a month. 64% of Canadians said that the Bible, along with all the other major world religions, teach essentially the same thing. 69% of Canadians think that the Bible has irreconcilable contradictions. And only 18% of Christians strongly agree with this statement. The Bible is the Word of God. And we wonder why we're having problems with faith and peace and trust and unity and, and, and community in our churches in Canada. Now, what might fi- you might find amazing, though, is that this study also found that Canadians who strongly agree with this statement, the Bible is the Word of God, are six times more likely to attend religious services uh, weekly, if not moderately. Canadians who talk with others about the meaning of the Bible are at le- once a week are four times as likely to go to church, six times as likely to read the Bible at least a few times a week, and six times more likely to reflect on the meaning of the Bible compared to those who have conversations just a few times a month or year. This is why we're in a crisis of faith. If we only read our Bible a few times a week, and even then to simply check a list versus to meditate on it and rest in it, think about it, react to it, be led by it, live in community with it, and live by the Word of God, then how do we expect to know the truth when it comes to us? 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul told his protege, young apprentice pastor, all Scripture is breathed out by God. That means it's all from God the Holy Spirit. Breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And here's why. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. The Holy Spirit will tell you what is yet to come. The Holy Spirit will bring glory to Jesus So, these words in context are expressly for the 11, 
but by virtue of application, they're for all of us to hold how the fulfillment of these words show us that we can trust the Bible. God declares it, Jesus accomplishes it, and the Holy Spirit of God applies it and keeps it eternally. So, what I want you to take away with this. If you're taking notes, I'm asking you to write down these questions, and I really beg of you, challenge you to wrestle with them this week. Do you trust God's Holy Spirit in your everyday, ordinary life? Or have we made the Holy Spirit almost like a circus freak? Come to church so I can show you the magical stuff the Holy Spirit does. Now, do you want to see and feel the presence of God's Holy Spirit at work in your lives? Are you ready? Read your Bible, pray every day, and he'll work, work, work. Which means you'll also grow, grow, grow. This is where Romans chapter 8, verse 28 comes into play. This is why it's so important in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, what you meant for evil, many of us today in the Western church say, God will use for good. That's not what the passage says. Joseph looks at his brothers and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So even when we watch the Ukraine... And Russia, when we watch our gas prices rise, when we see the tension and the questions and COVID and all of the division and tensions, God, God can take all of that and mean it for our good. It forces us to trust him and not ourselves. And that's a good thing. Pastor Hunter talked about it last week in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, right? But I can do all things through Christ. Talking to Derek about this, right? It means I can bear up under, I can bear all the things that God has sent into my life. So is your marriage hard right now? Then God has meant that for good. Because it means you're going to learn. I need Jesus. And I need his word. And I can't do it on my own. Are your children rebelling? Are your children a handful right now? Are you scared about the outcome of your children's lives? Satan means it for evil, but God will mean it for good. And I can tell you that because I'm watching what my parents did with me and what I want for my family. Nothing has changed for the Christian today that happened over 2,000 years ago. Christ could not be any more present and protective of you and I today if he were present bodily here with us. Jesus is still Emmanuel, God with us because we have his word. We're indwelt by his spirit. And so joy characterizes the new community. Even when we face struggling marriages and wayward families and toughness with, with uh, uh, relationships and when we struggle. Second question. Do you see how we are called to witness for Christ? The Holy Spirit has come into the world to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Dustin Benjis puts it all so well. He says, you believe the gospel not because you were smarter, not because you were righteous, not because you were privileged, but because God intervened with his grace and opened your heart to obey his word, embrace Christ and believe. You didn't figure it out. You didn't crack the code. God loved you. And by the way, notice what 
I want you to notice something in the entire Bible, especially if you go and I I challenge you to figure this out and see if I'm lying to you. But in the entire books of Acts, every single time someone came to Christ, it was through the agency of someone, another human being, who was already saved, giving their testimony and the truth with someone who had experienced the love, forgiveness, and mercy and grace of Christ. So we have a commission, church. You want to see the Holy Spirit do miracles? We want to see God work in a way that we've never seen? We want to see God save people in your family and in your neighborhood and at your workplace? Share the gospel with them. Live out the testimony that God has changed your life. Here's the question. Has God changed your life? And then finally, do you trust and listen to the Holy Spirit in your own walk with God. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I've been called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. This is what happens in our lives. The Holy Spirit will continue to do this work. And we've got to fight this because we live in a world of rampant individualism. Many professing Christians think nothing of living part of their Christian, their life God's way and the rest of it their way. Are you and I too distracted by social media and the words of the world more so than we are enthralled and believe and trust the word of God? Do you live your life more by the amount of thumb like-ups you get or Instagram followers you have or Twitter followers or hashtag this or hash? Or do we live our life by talk to me, God, from your word? Are you and I too distracted by stuff and junk than we are by the pure word of God? Let me ask you something right now. Listen, are you angry? Why? Are you bitter? Why? Are you holding grudges and you're not willing to forgive? Why? Are you afraid or anxious? Why? Are you here this morning and you're running from someone or something? Why? Are you tired? Why? Does money dominate your thoughts and your life? Why? Are you never happy, never satisfied? Do you complain more than you give thanks? Do you criticize more than you compliment? Why? Do you want life to go your way just for once? Why? Could the answer be we're too distracted by our pain and our hurt or even our sin simply to repent and hear the good news that Jesus Christ is gentle and lowly and that God is good and he will save you and forgive you and transform you. Jesus promises answers to give hope, love, joy, peace, understanding, power, perspective, We need only trust his word. And you want to know the power of the Holy Spirit, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, to see God work in powerful ways in your life and those around you, then we need to get into God's word and start talking to God. And then and only then 
will we hear from heaven? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the convicting power of your spirit because, Lord, even to preach this sermon has been convicting to me. And, Lord, now as we will sing a song and we will quickly move out of this building and into the day and into the next coming week as you give it to us and we will hear the latest headlines and we'll hear the latest forecast We'll deal with the latest things. We might have to run to Costco, do our grocery shopping, or whatever, or whatever, or whatever. But, oh God, that we would be still and know that you are God alone and that you have sent us your spirit, the spirit of God. You've given us your word, the word of God. And, Lord, I beg of you that Calvary Baptist and Kilbride Community Church and Downtown Community Church and Northern Cross Community Church would be so committed to reading and knowing God's Word, that we will then experience the power of God's Holy Spirit. And we will see lives change, beginning with our own. So, Lord, from the youngest person here, Lord, I know that you have spoken to them, you've convicted them, they have thought of something about their life, a question they have. Lord, here we are, and we want answers, and we want the truth. Then help me, help us to turn to your Word and hear and experience the truth and trust you. And may that change us today and forevermore. And may we realize that no matter who the person is here in this building or watching online, there is no sinner that you don't want. And Father, there is nothing that we as Christians are afraid of or angry at or bitter uh, for or Father, and no sin we are running from, nothing we are ashamed of, nothing we're scared of, nothing that we're frustrated by that we cannot bring to you and into your word and in prayer, and you will answer us. So, Lord, may there be a revival of trust in our churches so that we will know how to live and act and speak and treat each other and the world for your glory. In Jesus' name.